Hello and welcome to the Beyond Biotech podcast number 48. I'm Jim Cornell from the Biotech and we had yet another bank holiday on Monday. Not that I'm complaining. And there was no school on Tuesday either. The Scottish school year is quite different to the one in England. I remember taking my son to England while they were off school here in Scotland and we got some strange looks as if to say, why isn't your child in school? Less than a month to go here before the school holidays, which is a bit scary. And I know I mentioned the weather a lot, but since the last podcast, it hasn't rained here. I've even watered the plants. I always figured that the worst job in the world, well, at least in Scotland, would be selling watering cans. But this week showed that we do still need one. Anyway, we're here to talk about biotech and not the weather. So this week we're talking about immune modulatory antibodies for cancer immunotherapy with BioInvent CEO Martin Velshoff and Cecilia Hofander, who is the company's Senior Director of Investor Relations. And so now we'll take a look at some of this week's news headlines that you may have missed over at labiotech.eu. There were some interesting ones, if I do say so myself. The UK government is investing £650 million in life sciences. Molecular Partners has presented positive solid tumour data. And researchers have identified a gene expression signature to predict the progression of type 1 diabetes. Potential targets against natural killer T-cell lymphoma have been found. A pancreatic cancer microbiome discovery may give hope in the search for a treatment. And a new study revealed Alzheimer's disease inflammation protection. We had an article on five of the latest advancements in endometriosis research. Artificial intelligence has helped combat a superbug through the discovery of a new antibiotic. And we had an article on the challenges and opportunities facing biotechnology companies in developing countries. There are positive results for the first in human CRISPR microbial gene therapy. Lonza boosted its antibody drug conjugate portfolio with the acquisition of Sinefix. And researchers are fighting obesity through the use of gene therapy. Elevate Bio has raised $401 million for cell and gene therapies. Sanofi's drug has been shown to reduce disease activity in relapsing multiple sclerosis. And Swiss researchers say they have developed a new class of antibiotics to fight resistant bacteria. Anoka has raised $36.6 million for the large-scale development of cancer cell therapies. Avacta has acquired Chorus Bioconcept and a new approach improves cancer treatment and minimizes side effects. Scientists have developed a probe to push for new drug discoveries. We had an article about five ophthalmology biotech companies that you should keep an eye on, and you can read all of these and many more at labiotech.eu. And so it's time for this week's interview, and it's with a company that was in the news this week for positive phase 1A data on the treatment of solid tumours. Transgene is a biotech company that designs and develops virus-based immunotherapeutics against cancer, and it has partnered with BioInvent International, a biotech company focused on the discovery and development of novel and first-in-class immune modulatory antibodies for cancer immunotherapy. 
and it's BioInvent that we had an opportunity to chat with about immunomodulatory antibodies and what the company is doing in the fight against cancer. And we talked with BioInvent CEO Martin Welshoff and Cecilia Hofander, who is the company's Senior Director of Investor Relations. So I'm uh, Cecilia Hofander. I'm heading the Investor Relations at BioInvent since a little bit more than two years now. I'm a scientist by training, but that was way back. So I spent the last 20 plus years uh, doing investor relations for uh, different uh, public, uh, publicly listed biotech companies here in the area, actually, in Sweden. Yeah, and I'm uh, Martin Welshow, the CEO. Uh, my background is also scientist by training. So I did my PhD and postdoc at the German Cancer Research Center. So, uh, you know, I'm originally from, from Germany. But I left Germany now, I think a little bit, 20 years ago, uh, but didn't go back. So I'm now living in, in Oslo, Norway, in the life science industry now for 25 plus years. Uh, various places in Europe, uh, mainly Scandinavia, but I also spent actually uh, seven years in Dublin, Ireland, and also worked uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area for some time. Uh, that was also quite interesting. And um, this is now my third uh, CEO position. Mm. So could you tell me a bit more about the company? Absolutely, absolutely. So um, joined BioInvent in August 2018. And the reason for joining at that time was actually, uh, you know, well, there were a number of reasons, but I'll just focus on the, on the most important ones that really made this, uh, to me, uh, a very, very interesting opportunity. Uh, number one, uh, it's a relatively integrated company, at least for European standards, which means uh, we do... Uh, Target discovery, um, we um, do compound discovery, which in our case is uh, human monoclonal antibodies. We can produce ourselves, so we can generate cell lines, we can produce up to 1000 liter GMP in-house, and then we have clinical development. So uh, we can really accelerate very quickly once we have an interesting mode of action around a new target that we have discovered, get that quickly into the clinic. Uh, and that is actually illustrated by the fact, so 2018, uh, we had one program in the clinic, uh, soon we will have six programs in the clinic and five different compounds, all generated in-house during that almost five-year period, which I think is, 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 is quite fast. So that was one thing. Uh, the second thing is the company uh, obviously is around for some time. Could look at this from a negative perspective. I looked at it from a positive perspective because this is really one of the remaining teams internationally with a lot of lot of uh, antibody experience that means discovery uh, development and uh, manufacturing and that's I, I think also a very very strong aspect of the company uh, and number three um, what I saw uh, the company has actually done excellent research uh, so the uh, R&D group research and discovery is led by Björn Frendeus uh, he's also actually a professor in Southampton in the oncology unit there and they have generated a, a very, when I, when I looked at it in 2018, uh, interesting preclinical portfolio of um, new mode of actions uh, within a uh, new therapy of cancer. Published it very well, you know, just in the most uh, high-ranking journals. So it was the combination at the time point, excellent science, forefront science, very good team around antibodies, and then a relatively integrated company that has all the aspects of discovering drugs and bringing them into the clinic and develop them. So, and that is still the case. So it's a, a super interesting company. So this portfolio we have translated now into the clinic. So we have a portfolio of currently five programs, soon six programs, five different compounds 
and the uh, platform that we have. We have a very unique platform. It's called First. Uh, that is a reverse screening platform, so it works a little bit different than what other companies would do. So normally you would identify a target by any means, and then you would generate against that target compounds and test them. Uh, we do it differently, so we do it in a reverse manner. Uh, first of all, we don't screen on a specific target, but we screen on uh, against patient material. So the company has a very close collaboration with the uh, local hospital here in, in Lund such that we receive fresh patient material on a regular basis, sometimes several times a week. And once that patient material is collected, the transfer to our labs takes uh, five minutes, something like that, and then we start the screening. Uh, so we really screen against a relevant, clinically relevant material. So we know that something on this material might be interesting for, for therapeutic intervention. And then once we identify specific antibodies binding to the material of interest. Um, we test that functionally. That's why we call it function first, actually, uh, in order to see whether the targets and antibodies that we have um, have therapeutic relevance. So we test it in a number of animal models. Once we see strong uh, therapeutic uh, effects in animal models, then we identify the target. So the target identification comes at the end of that process. So we start from patients, then confirm that we have therapeutic efficacy, at least in animals, and then we identify the target. So by the time we identify the target, we know it's coming from patients, uh, so it has clinical relevance directly, and we know it works in animals. So it's already preclinically validated by that time point. And then we move to the clinic. So that's uh, how we do the uh, discovery process at BioInvent, and that's actually unique for the company. And that platform also has been now validated in a number of collaborations. So uh, last year we did a deal with Exelixis. It's a big biotech company uh, in the Bay Area. They're using our platform and then we have already antibodies in clinical development with uh, Daichi, Takeda, uh, Bayer uh, in, in collaboration with the City of Hope and uh, Mitsubishi as well. So uh, that's where we are at the moment. Um, this year, based on that broad portfolio that we have, uh, we expect uh, a number of uh, interesting uh, data points. So we just had a press release today, actually, uh, for one of our programs showing that it's safe. So it's a phase one dose escalation, it's safe. And we saw also our first signs of uh, potential efficacy as a single agent, which is always interesting. At the end, of course, everything in cancer therapy will be combination. But it's always reassuring when you see also that your compound uh, does something uh, on itself. So that's good, and there will be further such uh, news flow um, during the first half and second half of this year. You mentioned the efficacy. Could you tell me a little bit more about how it works and uh, what you're looking to try and do? Exactly, I can do that, and I will try to keep that general because we have currently four different compounds. They all have a different mode of action. Uh, first of all, I could say that out of those four, three are first in class, so it's a completely new target that we are targeting, not clinically validated yet. And of course, the compound is also new. Uh, the press release that we had today, that is, uh, you know, maybe best in class. So we, there we are following another one, which is immune. This is an oncolytic virus, but I go maybe one by one. So our lead compound uh, is an antibody called BI1206, and that's currently in two clinical development programs, one for non-Hodgkin lymphoma. And there what we do is uh, we inhibit uh, the important part of the resistance mechanism against anti-CD20-based therapy. Uh, in non-Hodgkin lymphoma, the 
main treatment modality is actually uh, rituximab, anti-CD20. And that is the core and will remain the core for the next at least 10 years. And it works very well. It's very uh, well tolerated. But every patient will become resistant at some time point. Every patient. And then, you know, we have other options, but they are more toxic, not so well tolerated. Um, and what we have with 1206, we basically block uh, part of a resistance mechanism to rituximab. Uh, and by this, we make it work again. Uh, you know, uh, the best treatment options when you talk to surgeons, uh, physicians rather, uh, that they like for non-Hodgkin lymphoma. And uh, so we have done uh, dose escalation, where we saw um, uh, a very, very good uh, response already during dose escalation. Just out of 15 patient, patients, we had four complete responses, a couple of partial responses, and a couple of stable diseases. And the uh, important thing really to mention there is that we had uh, the complete responses that we saw were long-lasting. So some of which were really lasting for more than two years after the end of treatment. So that means there were patients that were not responding anymore to the standard of care. We give it in combination with our antibody. They become cured. You know, that's what complete response is. And then that complete response was holding up for more than two years now and are still in complete response. And that's actually something what the regulators are looking after. Because you that's why also I'm not mentioning at this stage overall response, even though that was good as well. But you know, if you have 15 patients, what does it really mean? And when you look at other uh, new treatment options that are developed in that space, um, they normally also, you know, some of which, you know, CAR T as well as bi-specific antibodies, they have also good overall response, but it wins off over time. And then you ask yourself, you know, if you're a patient, what would you prefer? You know, rather take something that keeps me healthy for a long time, that are such that I don't need uh, treatment anymore. And then, of course, also with good safety. That's what we have. So that's one thing. That's the most advanced. And there we have a couple of uh, developments that we do. So we have also developed a sub-Q version of that antibody. Because it will be more, will be even better tolerated. And it's a more easy to handle product because you don't have to go to transfusion centers when you get the uh, uh, treatment. And that is currently dose escalation and that data will also come out uh, soon. And then we develop that antibody also in the context of solid cancer. Uh, solid cancers where patients have become resistant to anti-PD-1 and anti-PD-L1, which are currently the standard of care for solid cancers. Uh, but also there, at some time point, every patient will become resistant, unfortunately. Uh, and there we are a little bit more early in the development, so we're still in dose escalation, but we also have seen first signs of uh, efficacy, which is actually quite promising. So that's our lead, BR1206, uh, and the target actually, uh, I didn't mention that, I think is FCGAMR2B, which is a very interesting uh, inhibitor receptor on the cells of the innate immune system. So if you look at the immune system, you have the innate and you have the adaptive, and that's the innate part. And, and we are currently the only one targeting that one for this specific uh, indications of solid cancer as well as liquid cancer. Then we have a second anti-FCGAMR2B uh, antibody, 1607. This is much earlier because there is just started clinical development last summer. It's developing quite nicely. Uh, we do that in combination with trastuzumab. It has a different mode of action. And uh, there we're looking forward to see the first uh, data set during the second half of this year for, for 1607. Um, then we have a program around a target which is called TNF receptor 2, which is potentially one of the new checkpoints. And there's now quite some uh, uh, competition, so we started this, uh, we were almost alone. Now there's Novartis, there's Beijing, and a couple of other Chinese companies also developing antibodies around that compound. 
but we're still leading the pack. So we are the first ones, we're the first ones in the clinic and we're also the most advanced in the clinic. So we have two, pro, uh, two antibodies, uh, 1808 is our lead against that target um, and there we're finishing dose escalation as a single agent. That data set should be also available soon. At the same time point, we also uh, develop it as, uh, as a combination therapy with pembrolizumab, Ketruda, and that data set will be available during the second half of this year. Uh, and then uh, coming back to the press release that we had uh, this morning, so this is a program called BT001, which we run in a joint venture with Transgene, and we contribute our proprietary anti-CTLA4 antibody. Uh, which is a very interesting target. So there's already epilimumab, which is out as a product, uh, very efficient, but uh, quite toxic. Uh, and we are having a, a nicely differentiated version of, of that antibody. And Transgene, uh, our partner, is contributing the oncolytic virus platform. And basically what we have done, we have cloned the gene for anti-CTLA4 into the oncolytic virus. And then we can uh, infect the patient with the oncolytic virus and then it will infect tumor cells, solid tumor cells, so we're developing in, in solid tumors, and then the virus will destroy those tumor cells at the same time point also produce anti-CTLA4. So we're combining two mode of actions there. And uh, what we could see preclinically as well as clinically that um, anti-CTLA4 is really only expressed and produced in the solid tumor environment, and you can't see any uh, systemic exposure and that's exactly what we wanted and coming back then to the press release so what we could see in the dose escalation so it's finished now it's safe and we see signs of uh, efficacy already as a single agent and now we move that into the uh, second part which is then the combination with pembrolism up so as you can see there will be uh, more or less one two three four additional data reads out this year all early data sets so dose escalations mainly but that will then nicely prepare for next year where we then at least have two programs in, in those expansions. So then generating uh, in later stage data. I think one of the things that everybody talks about is cost when it comes to treatments, um, because obviously you want everybody that has cancer to be able to get treatment. Is that something that you can address? Yeah, so in general, so I can't give you exact numbers for the, no, because we, that's too early. But what I can tell you, so if you look at the cancer landscape, there are CAR-Ts, you know, all the cellular-based therapy, super expensive because, uh, you know, it's a process where you have to generate the cells, you have to keep them in culture. And I, I can't uh, tell you exactly, but I think it's easy to check in the, in the, in the uh, net the cost for that, but it's actually quite expensive. Uh, the other big class that kind of came out is, um, you know, multi-variant uh, antibodies by specifics. Uh, they're also quite expensive in, in uh, production because they have lower yields in production, etc., etc. So, uh, and what we have is, you know, simple antibodies with a very interesting, so completely natural human antibodies with a very interesting mode of action. And they are also uh, relatively cheap to produce compared to those two other elements. So I would say, yes, if we can keep the efficacy that we see, we will also have a cost advantage compared to those other two modalities that I've mentioned, but quite clearly will be, yeah.
That's definitely really good news because I guess ultimately it's all about the patient anyway. Absolutely. And that's what drives us. You know, it's uh, about the patient. And then, of course, if you can really address high unmet needs, then it also at the end will pay off for the investors. That's, of course, important for them. But us, you know, Cecilia and myself, what is driving is uh, the patient need. And then, of course, it has to compete with everything out there as well which uh, will ensure that whatever we come out with has to be, has to survive in the market and, and will be also efficient, right? Um, Cost-wise as well as uh, efficacy-wise. And where are you going to be utilizing this? Is it going to be Europe, US? So what we do is, um, so far we always have developed all our clinical programs um, under the regulatory in, in, in Europe, but also under IND. Also all our programs have an IND. Uh, which does not necessarily mean that we already develop it in the US because, uh, you know, during phase one, what you want to do is generate quickly data. And if you can do that efficiently in Europe, that's what we do. Uh, if you have to go to the US in order to generate good data quickly, then we also go to the US. But all the programs that we have are approved for clinical development in Europe as well as in, in the US. And then I can mention that the lead program is already partnered, um, you know, specifically for geography, which is China, Hong Kong, Macau, and Taiwan. And the partner there is Kasi Pharmaceuticals, which is a NASDAQ-listed uh, Chinese company. And they also have, uh, you know, approval in China for develop it, uh, developing it currently in, in uh, non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Uh, so there will also soon uh, will come an update. Uh, so we were a little bit hampered during the uh, COVID uh, situation, especially in China. <laughs> Everything was was closed down, obviously. Uh, but now it's it's open, and and Kasi is really working hard and diligently to generate additional data, and that will come on top of the data that we already have disclosed, and that we are generating. So for for that program, we also have approval in China. We got, we got a lot of work ahead, but it seems like it's going well. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. So there's a lot of work ahead uh, and, and, and it's going well in that sense because we have grown as a company. So when I joined, we were around 60, I think, employees roughly. And now we're a little bit more than 100. So it's not a, you know, exponential growth, but it's a steady growth, uh, you know, brick by brick, basically. And, and what we have really, what we really have grown is in the clinical development department because when I joined, it was a small team consisting out of a handful of people. Uh, led by our chief medical officer, Andres McAllister. Uh, and now this is uh, probably group around 20, 25 people, uh, you know, with clinical operation, regulatory, and we all built that in house. But we need to do this because now we have five, soon six programs, and then you need uh, a significant team also in-house. We do a lot of, you know, with CROs, obviously, but uh, you also need a significant team in-house to make sure that you execute properly. Okay, great. Is there anything you'd like to add that we didn't talk about? So we have two targets, FC Gamma 2B is one, and then TNF receptor 2, the other one, where we have not only one uh, antibody, one modality, but two. And uh, the reason for that uh, is basically then, you know, the target in itself becomes a platform because you can generate different antibodies with different mode of functions uh, that would allow to combine it in the different, in different manners in order to grab more of the space around that target and it's quite interesting in the TNF receptor 2 space because if we look at our competitors they either have an antibody like our lead VR1808 which is a blocking so-called blocking deleting antibody or they have something which is uh, more similar to what we uh, our version uh, BI1910 which is still in 
uh, preclinical development, but soon in clinical development, which is an agonist. So our competitors, competitors have either or, we have both. And if you ask why is that, uh, that is back to the first platform that I uh, described briefly at the beginning. Because that platform is very versatile in the sense, once we identify a new target, then we would not sit there with just with one antibody. Normally we have 10, sometimes 100, sometimes 1,000 different antibodies for one target. And they, they bind to different epitopes. They could be agonistic, antagonistic. And then what we do when we have this, let's say, multitude of antibodies, we screen them all one by one in different uh, preclinical animal models in order to pick the uh, most efficient one. And then we put those to clinical development. And I think this kind of um, uh, access uh, other companies don't have. So they would have you know, a system that provides them with one specific antibody at the end or two or maybe three but not with hundreds and, and in some cases even thousands different antibodies. And that's why we can really, once we do the screening, it's very comprehensive, then we have the space in our hands and then basically pick from there what we want to develop. And I think that's a very important other or additional competitive uh, factor that we have, absolutely. All right, and that's it for another week. There's no short work week in June, at least here in the UK. Not sure how we will all cope with all of that work, but at least the weather's been great. Sadly, there are lots of forest fires around the world at the moment because of all the dry weather, so hopefully those all get taken care of very soon. So thanks a lot for joining us, and I hope wherever in the world you are, you have a great week ahead. Take care, and you'll join us next week for another Beyond Biotech. 